And good evening. Welcome to this week's version of the Roundtable Discussion. I'm here with Pastor Morales. Yes, sir. Good to see you again today. Good evening. And we are uh, excited to bring to you the last installment of our series, The Corruption of the Christian Home. The first two were uh, messages uh, preached from our pulpit, and the last two are being handled in this roundtable discussion. And we're excited to uh, bring about this evening's topic. But before we introduce the topic, I want to just say thank you to Joe and Christina and Samuel Ademirican for loaning us their, their home and allowing us to um, sit here in their kitchen um, dining room area and uh, record this. So throughout the video, you'll probably catch little glimpses that uh, make it obvious. And so uh, this backdrop here was not my choice or Pastor Morales' choice, although he does wear pink. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you just had to mention that. I had to get you? that out there. This is Miss Christina's uh, artwork, and so uh, you see the, the nice touch there. But uh, we're, uh, we're joined uh, here this evening with Pastor Morales, who has been married for... 26, almost 27 years 26, now. almost 27 years, and he has four daughters who are grown, and he has survived. Amen. He is still alive, By the grace of and God. he's mostly sane. Amen. So, <laughs> for the most part. For the most part. For the most part. I will say this, though, one little disclaimer. Um, I do happen to wear pink items of clothing, and uh, real men wear pink. Anyway, just wanted to throw that in there. Well, I guess I'm a real man that doesn't wear pink, but no, that's that's I'm kidding, of course. Of course, of course. Uh, but uh, no, this so we're talking about the corruption of the Christian home to bring things to a serious note, and we um, we've looked at the topics of let's see, we began with anger, mm-hmm. and then we looked at entitlement. Last week we broke it into uh, part one and part two, but we looked at uh, proper roles or improper roles mm-hmm. rather. And this week's topic is misplaced priorities. And we want to talk about how many families get off track with their Christian home because they get their priorities out of order. Absolutely. And that's important. Yeah. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into uh, the, the notes here. Yeah. Lord, we're thankful that we have an opportunity to uh, gather digitally and consider such an important topic. And we're... Our prayer is that those that watch this, uh, whether it be uh, the Sunday evening that it airs or even uh, at a later date, that, Lord, the scriptures and the truths would uh, touch their hearts and, Lord, that families would get their priorities in order and have a set of priorities that please you. And, Lord, a set of priorities that build their family. We're thankful to Pastor Morales and the experiences that he brings to this discussion. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us as we talk on this topic. Uh, Lord, may everything we say be accurate, uh, be spiritual, and, and uh, be uh, Scripture-based and Scripture-led. Mm-hmm. And Lord, may we put the right emphasis in, in the right places on these things. And we pray, Lord, that you would look down and this conversation would please you. And be with our time uh, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And so uh, if we're going to have a Christian home, then we can't just be Christian in name only. We need to be Christian uh, in uh, our practice. And just slapping the title of Christian on a home doesn't make anyone a Christian. Right. And so there are some practices that a Christian uh, home ought to have. And the priorities of a Christian home look different than the priorities of a non-Christian home. And so a good passage for us to start with this evening on this topic is 1 John chapter 2, 
verses 15, 16, and 17. Could you read those for us this evening? Absolutely. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Very good. One of the greatest uh, challenges of the Christian life is the challenge of maintaining the right priorities and keeping things in proper balance. Uh, long before major spiritual defeat uh, or families break up, Satan tempts Christians to place a higher priority uh, on worldly standards of success than biblical standards of success. And we need to be reminded that Satan is the uh, prince of this present world, and he wants husbands to love the world more than God. Uh, he wants wives to love the world more than God and their husbands. Uh, he wants children to love the world more than going to church and uh, the things that are found in the Bible. So yeah. we need to make sure that we are hitting the reset button regularly here. Yeah, no, this is... Uh... This is what the devil wants. He wants us to be distracted by the world, enticed by the world, uh, to the point where we almost neglect, and not almost, actually do neglect our roles that we talked about last time. Yeah. Uh, the roles of the husband, the wife, and the children in their proper balance and the proper proper biblical perspective. And you know, we're we're in the world. As the statement goes, we're in the world, but we are not of the world. Yeah. You know, we're pilgrims. We're passing through. This is not our ultimate home. And we as Christians, all of us at some times, Pastor, can get distracted by the world. And so we got to be careful of that. When someone listens to the, this type of conversation and they're new to the concept, they might think, well, what does that mean? Yeah. What do you the mean when world? you say the world, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, I, the, the root word in the Greek, which the English Bible is written mostly in Koine Greek, if not totally in Koine Greek, uh, the root word for world is the word cosmos, and it means a couple of things. Uh, it means an arrangement of a system or values, um, uh, or it means values that are in opposition to God. Yeah. And it's not too difficult to look at the world around us, the secular world around us, and see that they do things a little bit different than the Bible says. Oh, no doubt. Uh, I heard a preacher one time, I believe, uh, said, I, I, I want to make sure that I say this correctly, I'm almost 100% sure this is what he said about this particular word, cosmos. Uh, he had mentioned the fact that we get our word cosmopolitan uh, or cosmetology. Uh, it is it is about putting on a particular uh, makeup, so to speak, or a particular uh, facade of who we are. And so if we decide to put on the facade or the uniform or the face of the world, uh, the Bible is very clear that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. He is the God of this world. And God, the Father, the, the true God, has given him that. Uh, while he's while the church age is taking place, we got to be careful not to put on the cosmetology, so That's to right. speak, of the world. In a sense, we're to swim upstream. Yeah, uh, we're to go against the grain, against yeah. the flow, and yeah. we're to 
get to a place where we're comfortable yeah. going against the grain. Um, the Bible has several verses that sort of talk about this idea of not being part of the world as a Christian and buying into their val- set of values, buying into their systems. First John chapter 5, verse 19 says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. They waller, they roll around yeah. in wickedness. Romans 12, 2. Yeah, Romans 12, 2, the Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Wow. Powerful verses. The yeah. world lies in wickedness. They live in wickedness. And we can't deny that. Uh, we just look at our phones. Look at the news. We see that the world loves wickedness. And God says, don't be conformed to that. I think of uh, someone pouring, I used this recently in a sermon, but I think of someone pouring concrete into a mold. Yeah. And yeah. the devil wants to take Christians and pour them into a mold. And wants us to look like, talk like, act like people who haven't been born again. They're not on their way to heaven. James chapter 4 verse 4 is maybe the strongest verse in the Bible on this topic. And James comes right out. This is the half-brother of Jesus. And he at the time was pastoring the church at Jerusalem. He comes right out and uses some strong language. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses... Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Boy, I would say James drew a line in the sand and said, pick one. You can't be on both sides. You can't straddle the fence. You can't love the world and love God. You're either going to love God and hate the world or you're going to love the world and hate God. I think a great example of this is uh, say that... You know, um, many of you here have had former boyfriends or girlfriends, and you, you break up with them, and you met your current spouse. And you know, th- this is a scenario for me where mm-hmm. I, I had a girlfriend prior to meeting my wife, and my wife would be brokenhearted to find out that I was even having a conversation. Sure. If I had found her on Facebook or um, uh, contacted her through other some other sorts. I'm to have no contact with her. I'm to not talk to her, bring that up. Um, uh, If I were to compare my wife to her, that would be a problem. And God says, you were of the world, and then you got saved, and now you need to totally disown. Yeah, in other words, your loyalty, your allegiance. You know, it should be not to this world's system, but it should be to God's system. Yes. Uh, Not the world's system. And so it it can get a little confusing for Folks who have not been in church a long time and they don't understand what these terms mean. But what do you mean the world? What do you mean uh, am I supposed to live like a monk? Right? Because there's extremes sure. of this, right? There's there's the, the Amish. There's the yeah. the monks. There's yeah. And so there's extremism with, even within this. And so we want to make sure we, we try to strike that balance, right. the biblical balance. We're not totally engrossed in the world, but at the same time, we're apart from the world, but we're not so removed that God, he can't even use us to influence the world. Right, right. And that's the case in the monk is, you know, the monks and, and, and the Amish. It's kind of hard for them yeah. to impact the world. If, you know, they're so different. Somebody said that you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Yeah. And the other, the other side of that is you're so earthly minded, you're no heavenly good. So exactly. they're striking that balance. Right. Another good quote I heard on this is that a ship can 
be in the water and it's safe. But That's once right. the water gets in the ship, That's right. it's not safe. And a That's Christian right. can live in the world and they're fine. But when you start getting the world inside the Christian... That's right. Well, that's when you get into trouble. So uh, keep in mind that even from a music standpoint, there are songs that sort of give this yeah. ideology yeah. here. Um, you're, you're either identified with God's family or the world's family. So uh, some of you may remember the pop song, We Are the World. Yeah. Um, or the Christian song, This World Is Not My Home. The exact opposite, right? Yeah. The, the world, the secular song says, this is, what, this is all we have. This is all we look forward to is this world. And we make it up and there's nothing else where we that are saved, we're born again, we're blood-bought, we're on our way to heaven. We say, well, this is my temporary home for now, but this is not my permanent home. That's right. And so we have to understand the difference. So troubles come into marriages and families when they place a higher priority on this world's values over God's word. So we're going to take the next few minutes and... Uh, we're going to look at the three most common misplaced priorities that corrupt the Christian home. And so what we'll do is we'll give the information generically and then we'll come back around once we cover it generically and we'll apply that to home living. Okay, so the first one here out of First John um, uh, 2, uh, First John 5 rather, is uh, physical pleasure over spiritual growth. Physical pleasure over spiritual growth. And this would be the lust of the flesh, mm -hmm. the lust of the flesh. Now, uh, the tool Satan uses here, the lust of the flesh, that word lust is an inordinate desire, an inordinate desire or craving, something your flesh craves. Yeah. Satan is a master at taking normal body bodily needs and exploiting them beyond the need into a sinful craving. Uh, something that should be kept in moderation is just... Yeah taken to great excess and, and, and taken outside of the boundaries that God has given us. His goal is that we would almost worship the flesh. Mm -hmm. We put a higher priority on what our flesh desires than, what, uh, than, than spiritual growth. Absolutely. And, and the Bible is very clear that these two will be contrary the one to the other. Uh, the, spirit, uh, the, the flesh, rather, lusteth against the spirit. It's, just, it's going to be a crash course so to speak, of constant battling, constant battling. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter number 7, he said it very clearly. Well, it's not very clearly because it's a difficult passage to read, but it makes total sense when you read it. He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, that's what I do. And I don't know if you're listening here this evening and you can be like me and say, I have that battle happening inside of me each and every single day. Every Christian yes. knows that saved. That's right. Knows what it's like to have the spirit want one thing and the flesh want the other. And every every Christian knows what it's like to see the flesh win yeah. and the spirit lose. And we and, and that's what the devil wants. He wants you to desire your flesh to win. The goal in the Christian life is to get to the place where the spiritual side of you wins out more than the flesh. Yes, side we'll never does. get it to where the flesh never wins. Yeah, until of course you know we're, we're in glory. Right. Uh, but as a Christian, as we're growing, you know, hopefully, Lord willing, the Spirit is winning more of those battles. That's right. The flesh. So we this isn't an all inclusive list, but we've come up with four areas where there's a, a, a battle, if you will, between the flesh and the Spirit. And so we'll be careful. Uh, we know we have some younger audiences listening in. So 
we'll be careful here, but letter A, notice the word sensuality. Yeah. Sensuality. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So um, the, 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 the physical desire being described here is a God-given desire. And some folks have a greater desire than others. In fact, I don't want to chase a rabbit too far, but I do believe, Pastor Morales, and I think you'll agree with this, that God makes some people to where they have little or no desire in this area Absolutely. because he wants them to serve him with their life. Yes. And so real quick here, if that's where you are, that doesn't make you strange. That doesn't make you weird. If God made you with less desire in this area, then sell out and just serve the Lord with your life. Amen. And don't let anybody tell you uh, anything else. There's you're, nothing wrong with being broken. celibate. You're, you're not, not broken. broken. You're not broken. That, that's totally normal. But Amen. the average person watching this, uh, there are those sexual desires. And God has created that and put that in you. And he wants those desires to be fulfilled within the confines of marriage. And so um, uh, th this is a big problem in our society oh, no today. Doubt. Satan has perverted this so far so bad that people look at us who take the biblical position as weirdos. And I think, no, 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 we are actually taking the God position and it's been so put on the back burner, it's been so perverted, it's been so twisted that people view a person who uh, stands for uh, no sex prior to marriage, sex only within the confines of marriage, uh, as some extremists. But that's the way God intends for it to be. And uh, yes, he has perverted it and the flesh, we're fed, we're fed sex everywhere sexuality sells everything it's everywhere and and so um that appetite is is grown and and yeah. um it's uh it if we're not careful we get to a place where we we lose those battles yeah. far too often with the yeah. spirit and so Amen. you know we have to be careful there Amen. so spiritual growth would say no um i'm married or uh, for the married married people i'm married and so i'm going to exercise and have these desires fulfilled within the confines of marriage. And for those that are not married to say, I'm going to remain celibate until God leads me to that proper Amen. one. An example here, the Illinois Department of Natural Resources reports that more than 17,000 deer die by car each year. And peak season for these kills is in late fall. Do you know what else is in peak season with deer in late fall? They are in rut. Yeah. Uh, they are desiring to reproduce. And I would just say that deer are not the only ones that are destroyed by a preoccupation with sexuality. And yeah. we cannot let our hormones dict dictate to us what we do. We must let what's right, what God says, Amen. knowing that he created this. So uh, physical pleasure over spiritual growth. We're looking in particular at the misplaced priority of the lust of the flesh. Let's move on, and we'll hit this one quickly okay. um, and, and look at uh, letter B, and let's look at music. Mm -hmm. um, now, there is a gray area here sure. where uh, there's music where it can be debated whether it's right or wrong, mm -hmm. uh, but there is some music that is, there's no debate that it's just wrong. There's 
there's music in our society today that's glorifying sex, it's glorifying drugs, it's glorifying alcohol. In some cases, it's glorifying crime. Uh, it's obvious that that type of music, that uh, genre, whatever you want to call that, is wrong. Uh, if, if they're glorifying killing, uh, they're glorifying uh, taking advantage of women or people or in general, you know, even children, God forbid, uh, that's wrong. That's, yeah. that we should not be uh, allowing ourselves to listen to that type of, of if you want to call it music. Or those e types Ephesians of 5 tells us that music is to allow, uh, bring us to being filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And Amen. the book of Psalm is nothing but a gigantic song book right in the middle of of our Bible. Um, and I would just tell you this, if you get in the car as a family and the presets are all stations with music that glorifies sin, self, or sexuality, you're not probably not listening to something that's pushing your family closer to the Lord. You're probably pushing your family away from the Lord Amen. and to indulge in the flesh. Let's move on to letter C. And Pastor Morales, you and you and I looked at this one in our office, in my office. First, we we're like, no, let's not do it. And then we ended up talking about it forever. So yeah, we'll have to yeah. we'll have to really uh, watch our time here. Sure. But the next one here is overindulgence in food or gluttony. Yeah. Um, Proverbs chapter twenty three verse two. Can you read that for us? The Bible says, "Put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite." Now, uh, we, are we are recording this at the Ida American dinner table. Yes. And my family came over prior to your arrival, uh -huh. and we had a very large meal. Yeah. And Miss Christina cooked an amazing meal. So thank you, Miss Christina. Um, she paid me to say that. Amen. Um, no, she didn't. When she watched this, she's going to be upset I said that. But no, she did. She cooked a, a really good meal, and we ate. And uh, and I'm very full right now. Yeah. We live in a we live in a country, especially where food is in great abundance. It's easy to eat as much as you want, and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg to do so. Yeah. You know this this thing about gluttony is the least preached on topic in churches. In, now, ba in Baptist in Baptist churches, churches in particular. <laughs> uh, I I will say this. I know that it's a problem personally for me. I say a problem. I have to be very conscious of. How much I put on my plate. How much. We talked about this in your office, okay? And we don't want to go too long. We don't have to supersize every meal. That's right. You know, we, we don't have to get a meal that has so much food that, you know, technically two people should. And that's another point, right? We go to a restaurant and they give you portions. Generally, you know, it's bigger and larger than any one person should be eating. And again, it's okay to do that every once in a while, but if that's a, a common practice, we got a problem. Yeah. No wonder we have the obesity problem that we have. Well, it, you relate it to... Says the fat guy. <laughs> Both of us are, yeah. I'm just taller, so it stretches out more. Amen, amen. But uh, my, my body mass index is not much different than yours, I imagine. But we live, in a, we live in a society where we've been told a few things that are probably not quite biblical. Yeah. The first one is you have to eat three meals oh, a day. Yeah. Yeah. And do you need three meals a day to survive? No, no. You really could eat one big meal a day or eat two big meals a day yeah. and, and, and be okay. The second thing we're told is you have to finish everything on your plate. That is a problem that I personally have had in the past. I don't now, uh, but I do remember, you know, maybe even telling my children, okay, make sure you fi you're not going to get dessert if you don't finish it. And it's, 
it, what are we what are we developing in each other? We're developing yeah. this gorging, this I have to force this food down, and, and that's that's a problem. I, I can hear the counter argument is well, you shouldn't be wasting food, and okay, sure. you should be wasting food, then put less on your plate to start with. Or cook less. Or you know? cook less. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you have leftovers in your refrigerator for, for three or four meals, but you're going out to eat. Yeah. And, you know, in, in your, you are. You're not being a good steward of the I food agree. that you have totally because of, of convenience I or totally the luxury of eating out. But we have to be careful. And for those that would say, oh, come on, Proverbs 23.2 is, is Old Testament that was a long time ago. And, and we don't even know if you totally have that in context. I would just say Paul reminded us. Whether therefore ye eat or drink. or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And Paul could have chosen, he could have chosen any other two items to put there, but he chose eat and drink yeah. because he knew that uh, even in these little areas, we need to promote spiritual growth. Absolutely. You know, God wants us to be well-rounded, balanced people in everything, not just in prayer and Bible reading and witnessing and tithing, but also even how we eat and what we practice and our sleeping habits. You know, there's so many things that God wants us to be balanced in, and this is one of them also. Have you ever been, I know I have, have you ever been in a place where you, you ate too much and that made your flesh, that empowered your flesh to, uh, to, to be sinful and maybe some of these other areas because your diet was out of balance? I, I will say this. Uh, I, I can't remember a specific time where me overeating caused me to do something bad in these other areas. But I will say this. There's been too many times where I've overeaten and I've been literally miserable, miserable physically. I know all of us can probably say the same thing where we sit on the couch. Thanksgiving uh, afternoon, evening. Yes. And, and we are literally almost in physical pain because we've eaten so much. And, and and what did we say in the office, Pastor? We look forward to that day. Yeah. We can't wait to do that, Gordon. And, and again, it's a once-a-year type deal. But there are some people who are all not necessarily eating like that, but close to that on a regular basis. Yeah, and that's, that's just, that does not please the Lord. No, that's not good. Physical pleasure over spiritual growth. We're looking at this from the context of uh, uh, not uh, not putting the lust of the flesh over spiritual growth. Amen. And the last one here is alcohol and drugs. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So we, we have to be careful here because we know that God has been clear. We're not even to look upon the wine That's when right. it is red in the cup. Yeah. And I know there are folks who are going to watch this who disagree with our stance on wine and alcohol. But there's one thing that cannot be debated, um, cannot be debated, and that is the Bible is 100% against any form of drunkenness yep. and drunken behavior. Right. I would also say that 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that our body is the temple Amen. of the Holy Ghost and we're not our own. We're bought with a price. And so we're not to abuse that body with drugs. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I had someone asked me this question one time with this exact verse, Ephesians 5.18, where they believe, well, it's okay to drink, but not to be drunk. And they, they cited this verse. They said, you see right there, it says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, excess. And it says, don't drink to excess. And I said, wait a second, that's not what that says. That says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. It's the wine that's in excess, 
not the drinking of the wine that's in excess. Amen. That's that's a wine that has too much fermentation. It's talking about the wine being in excess, not the person drinking the wine. So we've got to be very careful with how we interpret these verses. Let's take this point as a whole and let's look at it as it applies to families, mm-hmm. marriages, um, parenting, and then uh, especially children, how it yeah. can affect children. Uh, because we can hit any one of these things as an individual, sure. but I, we've both seen uh, in our years of ministry where a, a father or a mother or father-mother team leads a family over the spiritual cliff, if you will, because they worship physical pleasure. Yeah. Well, one of the things, Pastor, you and I talked about in, at your, in your office when we were reviewing these notes was what I would say to my daughters when they were in my home under my uh, uh, umbrella of jurisdiction was, listen, I, I partook of alcoholic drinks as an unsaved teenager. Uh, I know what it does. I, I know the effects that it has on the human body, not to mention all the examples we have in the world. But here's the thing. I could easily give it up, easily. I had no problem once I trusted Christ as my Savior to say, no more alcohol for me. I didn't like it. It didn't taste good. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, To be quite honest, it tasted absolutely disgusting. But there are some people who only take one drink and they're they're hooked. I mean, they're literally hooked. And we don't know who those people are. And I would tell my daughters, you don't know if that is your physiological makeup, if you're going to take one drink and be hooked for life. And the downward spiral is is absolutely horrific. So I would say to them, just don't even get near it. Don't even touch it. Don't even, don't even uh, be around it. Yeah. And so uh, we don't know. We don't know who those people are. That I don't know your gene makeup and my gene makeup enough to determine whether I'm going to get hooked that way, whether I you know, smoke a cigarette or whatever the case may be. And so we've got to be careful, especially leading our kids. Right. And so as a husband or a father... Uh, and then to the ladies, uh, as a wife uh, who is trying to set a godly example for her husband, and then as a mother, uh, it's on you to make sure you're establishing a tone in your home where when those conflicts of the flesh battling the spirit arise within you, especially when it's visible to others in your family, they see you choose what God would want you to do over what your flesh wants to do. To give you just a really practical example, you wake up on Sunday morning, Dad, and you just don't feel like going to church. Or maybe you want to go to church, but your wife is dragging her feet, or the kids are dragging their feet. Uh, at there, there's, a, there's a moment where is the laziness, the carnality of the flesh going to win out, or is what's right going to win out? And look, you're going to have every excuse thrown at you. I don't feel good, or... Uh, I had a long week, or I'm sad, or I'm going through a tough time, or our kids have final exams next week, uh, or you know the park is only going to be open this one day, or there's sales at the mall that expire. You come up with a list of 100, uh, 100 feet long. You have to choose right there. Are we going to do what's right, or are we going to do what the flesh wants to do? Yeah. And am I going to put my foot down and, and lead as a husband? Uh, maybe you're a single mother. Lead as a mother, or are you going to let the flesh win out? And if your children see you fighting that battle and you winning that battle, um, then they're more likely to let you dictate to them when it's time. 
yeah. uh, uh, for them to win those battles. Amen. So we have to, uh, and, and there's many more areas, many more directions we could go here, but Pastor Morris, I'll just pick one more. Mm-hmm. What we allow to be watched on TV, uh, on phones and tablets uh, anymore, is so critical in this. Because if you're sticking in front of your family, entertainment, commercialization, that gloats and promotes the the flesh and and encourages the flesh, then don't be surprised when your children want what they're having pumped into their eyeballs and their ears yeah. all day no, every we, day. We've got to be extra careful. It's it, it goes back to that battle. It goes back to that flesh versus spirit battle that we talked about in the beginning. And we all have to have that battle. I, I, I know there are Sundays where I'm like, oh, I don't feel like it, right? But it's the flesh trying to be lazy or the flesh trying to consider itself over the spirit. I know my spirit man needs to be in yeah. church and should be in church or read the Bible or pray or whatever the case may be. It's that battle again. You you have to wage that spiritual warfare. you got to be willing to wage that war. Amen. 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 So that first one is physical pleasure over spiritual growth, the lust of the flesh. The second one here is possessions over the soul. Mm. Possessions over the soul. And this one is lust of the eye. Lust of the eye. Mark Mm. 8.36 says this, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mm. So when we talk about lust of the eye, to sum it up in a world, we're talking about materialism. The accruing of things, bank accounts, bigger houses, nicer clothes, a greater status on some level. And uh, and, and being someone who will prioritize the promotion of stuff over the promotion of the Savior, the promotion of spiritual growth, the promotion of the souls that even live under the confines of their home. So the eye is the gateway of the mind, and lust of the eye is a mind, uh, a man or woman whose mind is on materialism. And so let's look at two thoughts here. Letter A, this is a person who loves materialism. He loves materialism. Can you read Matthew 6? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. The, these are, they're, going back to James 4, the adulterers and adulteresses, that verse and then this verse, uh, no man can serve two masters. That's you right. love one or hate the other. I don't know that I would have ever used these words, but God, through the author, the hands of His authors, pinned down some really strong language to say, "Look, you have to pick." Yeah. Notice what God said here. He said, "For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." He didn't say, "Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is." No, 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 no. He says, "Whatever you focus your stuff, your money, your..." possessions, yeah. uh, your assets, that's where your heart is going to be and not the other way around. You can't say, well, I'm doing this in the sincerity of my heart to be a blessing. Listen, if we're going to, if we're going to accumulate stuff and yet not allow the Lord to lead us to use those things or that stuff to bless others, 
That's materialism. So what we're talking about here is the material versus the immaterial. Um, When I, every two weeks, uh, and the church pays us every two weeks, every two weeks when I get paid, um, I drop an offering envelope in the plate with, um, you know, designated out to different areas of the church. And, you know, uh, even as the pastor who works there and, and has some oversight of the finances, you know, occasionally I'll sign the checks, either Jim, Jim owns or I sign the checks to go out to the mission field. The money I put in the plate for missions, I don't get to see what impact that has. Yeah. It's immaterial. Sure. But my heart is on the mission field That's each right. time That's right. that money goes into the That's plate. Right. Whereas I could have taken the same amount of money each month that I put in the plate and saved up that money and bought a big screen TV mm-hmm. or you know, a new phone sure. or a bigger house if mm-hmm. I saved long enough. And one is material, one is immaterial. Right. And we we will get to see the immaterial, immaterial form when we get to heaven. Amen. Amen. I, I love the fact that we can't take it with us. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer, right? You can't take it with you. And a lot of people seem to think that they can. But we can send it ahead. That's right. And the way we send it ahead is by investing in spiritual things, investing in the kingdom of God, investing in the local church, investing in the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. Yeah, we don't know what impact our investment will have till we get to heaven, but if we're not investing, we're going to have nothing. We're going to have no, no reward for that. Let me make it really practical. What, what do you have in your pocket there? Can you pull one of those out? Okay, we've got the tracks here, the new tracks that we got for the church. Okay. Right, these are new. You yep. haven't seen them yet. Amen. So um, we ordered those a month or so ago, uh-huh. right? And many of you haven't had a chance to get your hands on them because yep. of the quarantine. Do you know that it costs the church money <laughs> yeah. to print those? And do you know we paid for that with the offerings that came in uh, the plate? And I-, I can't tell you in all my years of ministry um, how many folks' lives I know of that have been radically changed over one of these. Um, I'm thinking Amen. of a couple right now who uh, I led to the Lord, my wife and I led to the Lord, a Peruvian couple. They're both doctors. They live in the Washington, D.C. area, and um, they're very well-to-do at this point. When we met them, they weren't. They were living in a poor little apartment. We left one of these, or one like these, this on their door, and they called, and we went over to their apartment. They were brand new to the States. They were here legally, brand new to the States, had no furniture in their apartment. We stood in an empty living room, gave them the gospel, and they got saved, and they're still faithful to church today. Amen. This is investing in, I mean, it is a material object, sure. but not when you drop that money in the plate. No. And you can choose whether you're going to serve the Lord, whether your heart, uh, you, you, let me back up. You can decide whether or not you're going to invest your treasure in the immaterial, the spiritual, or the material. And Amen. that is the problem with the lust of the eye. Um, so not only does, let's see, letter A, what was letter A again? I, I, I lost uh, my He notes. loves materialism. He loves, letter B is he serves materialism. Yeah. Matthew 6.24 says, No man can serve two masters. This is the verse I was referencing either. Yeah, so that, that teaches right there, there is no polygamy in, in, in the Bible. <laughs> you can't be married more than one wife. Um, um, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. Can you read Joshua 7.21 for us? Joshua 7.21. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, 
Then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So the backstory here is that Achan uh, was part of the Israeli army. They came up on the city of Jericho. This was the first city they would conquer as they took over their their promised land. And God, through Joshua, told the people, do not take anything in the city. This city of Jericho, all of the spoils, all of the riches, all of the goods are to be left alone. That is your tithe to me. And uh, anything you take from any other city you conquer, you're welcome to. But this belongs to me. Don't touch it. And Achan, when he was in there uh, helping overtake the the city, he saw these items, the gold, the silver, the clothes, and he took them and he hid them in his tent. And God sorely punished him. Why? He not only loved materialism, he got to a place where he was serving materialism. And really, Pastor Morales, this is what it boils down to. Either we have material goods to help us live or we live to accrue material goods. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And it all boils down to where our heart is. Where's your heart? Is your heart for God and for his kingdom? It, it boils back down to that original the original uh, statement. It's either we're, we're living for the family of God and his purposes and his will, or we're living for the family of the world and for the, the purposes of the world. And again, it's a balance. We're in the world. We buy stuff, of course. We, you know, we buy cars. We buy homes. We buy furniture. We buy clothes. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if we're doing all of that and we're not tithing, we're not giving the missions, we're not investing in spiritual things, that's where the problem comes in. It comes down to a balance of, of passion. Yeah. Um, I was really convicted by this. I flew out of um, Jauja, which is a small city in Peru. I was flying from Jauja to Lima, then catching a plane from Lima back to the States about a year ago. And I'm sitting there in this airport. I'm all by myself. Angela and the kids stayed a little longer than I did. And I see another American family. Now, granted, I hadn't heard anyone speak English in like three weeks. So I'm just like, ah, oh, i got to go talk to them, right? This, this terminal packed with people. They're the only English-speaking people in this little t- small town out in the backwoods of Peru. And so I walk up to them, and I start talking to them, and I find out they're Christians. And, um, and this is where the convicting part comes in. They were there with their two teenage daughters, husband and wife, two teenage daughters. And the reason why they were in that small town was that several years prior, the parents had told their daughters that instead of buying their kids Christmas presents, that the family was going to sit down and pick a child who was in need on the other side of the world. And they were going to take the money that Christmas and they were going to send it to that child to help. Wow. And every month, that family would send money to this orphanage so this little girl could buy pencils and school books and and, and have a church to go to. This was a Christian-based organization. And the girls had been writing this girl letters. And there was a organization in the middle that would translate the letters into Spanish sure. and, and then back into English as they went both directions. And so they had been 10 years writing to this little girl, and they took their money for their vacation, and they flew to this little town so they could meet that girl. Incredible. Now, they could have invested in toys for their girls for that Christmas that year. Disney World. Instead, they said, we're going to make a spiritual difference in a child's life. And their passion was not in some new thing they accrued. Their passion was in seeing seeing a child's life made better. Investing in another human being. 
Wow. I don't know about you, but that's convicting to me just to hear that. Just to hear you experienced it. I didn't live it. You lived it. But to hear it is convicting. Yeah. And again, it, it makes you recalibrate your priorities. We're talking about improper priorities, right? The, not having the priorities in, in line with God. We've got to be careful. And again, I'm not against buying. I buy my kids Christmas presents of every course. year. We get them things for their oh, birthday. Sure. But there is a part of me, Pastor Morales, every year when I pile those presents under the tree or you know, set them aside in the bedroom at birthday time, there's a part of me that goes, I'm teaching my child to, to, to adore vanity. I'm, I'm teaching my child uh, to, to love uh, a, a short-term happiness high from opening these things that six months from now... They probably won't even be using. And I'm not saying we should quit giving Christmas presents, but I am saying that we should teach our children not to not to suffer with the covetous attitude of the lust of the eye, but rather have them set their affection on things above. Here's a good gauge, Pastor, and I think you'll agree with this. A good gauge as to whether we are materialistic or we're not materialistic. Your birthday comes. Valentine's Day comes. Your anniversary comes and passes, and you get nothing. How do you feel? Are you upset? Are you? Do you feel slighted? Do you feel neglected? I'll be quite honest with you. I grew up extremely poor, and one of the one of the principles, I guess not a principle, one of the the paradigms in my life perspectives. I don't expect anything for any. Holiday. And now, I, I probably have it to an extreme. Is it nice to get things? Absolutely. But I have it to an extreme to where if I don't expect anything, I expect others not to expect <laughs> anything. <laughs> and that's where it's a problem, right? Yeah. And so I have to be careful not to, not to uh, trade or, or push my paradigm on my wife and my kids. But at the same time, it's a good lesson. Can you go one Christmas where no one gives gifts to each other as far as the family can you go is it a problem if you don't my, my birthday's coming up my grandfather sent me a card in the mail my grandfather he's 85 years old I'm 45 gonna be in the next week or so I don't need you know money from my grandfather I don't want money from my but he sends me a card with a check and I, I feel bad because he's my grand but nonetheless you, you can give it to me man. yeah hey, amen <laughs> I'll sign it over to you, Pastor. Amen. But but you understand what I'm getting at. If 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 it bothers you when you don't receive something for whatever special occasion, then maybe just maybe you might be slightly materialistic. Yeah, we were wanting to keep this. Um, uh, be careful with the time. Yes, sir. But boy, this is a point that we we made in the office that I think Amen. really needs to be made now. I agree. Um, it really comes down to as a mom and dad, how you're teaching your children when it comes to a, a, a covetous attitude. We, as Americans, we think that we have to have this particular standard of living. And can I tell you that if you have money in the bank or you have things that represent the money that you earned, but you don't have each other, then you don't have much. No. And, and I'm afraid that many couples, let me speak to the couples that don't have kids yet, or the young kids that are getting ready to get married, because there are other people listening into this, you're already boxed into the spot. There's little you can do about it. One of the best decisions my wife and I made early on was we decided that my wife was not going to work and that we would have a poorer standard of living in order for her to be able to invest in our children 
when they were little. My wife did work when we had little kids. Her job was them. And mm -hmm. the values and morals of Matthew and April to us were far more important than millions of dollars if, if somehow she could have made that at a job. Sure. And so you have to choose which is it. Are you going to ship your children off to a daycare while you give them a nice big house? Or are you going to live in a smaller house and have each other? And um, one of the things I've heard many people say that grew up in a poor home is, we were poor, but we didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that so many times. So many times they say, uh, I've heard documentaries on famous folks who accomplished great things, whether in sports or politics or what have you. And they'll say they grew up in the South, you know, in this decade where there was, they had almost nothing. And to a, to a man, almost every single one of them says, we were poor, but we didn't even realize we were poor. Because we spent time with each other. Yeah. We, we loved on each other. Yeah. We did things together. And again, this what's is, most important? This isn't meant to throw stones at a, at a couple where you're of both working. Not. And, and, and you, again, you, maybe you've boxed yourself into that spot. My encouragement would be to set, set things up where you're relationally rich, even if it means being fiscally uh, poor. And you'll end up being rich that way. That contentment that we talked about. Amen. Yeah. The third area here, we looked at lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Uh, the third one here is pride of life. Physician over people. Position over people, pride of life. Mm. Uh, someone who is, this is someone who is boastful. They, they don't want uh, to, to just keep up with the Joneses. They want to surpass the Joneses. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say next, right? <laughs> I heard a quote from a preacher who said, uh, quit trying to keep up with the Joneses. Every time you catch them, they refinance. <laughs> <laughs> it is a never-ending vicious cycle of trying to keep up with your neighbor or your friend at work or your family even. Yeah. Just be you. Be who God has made you to be and have what God has afforded you to have and don't try to have what God has afforded someone else to have. I'm really amazed how many people who chase fame with their life yeah. come back and talk about how miserable the fame made them. Once they reach the pinnacle, then they're like, well, now what? What do I do now? Yeah. How many Pope folks who are famous end up checking themselves into a drug rehab? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and fame is one of those things that are very deceptive. You think you want it until you get it. That's right. That's and, then, right. and then you wish you had it. Every and single one that has it and, and has the, the negative consequences that come along with it, they say, I don't want this. I just want to be a regular guy. Yep. Right? But you can't be a regular guy if you're famous and you got paparazzi following you everywhere. That's right. I don't think any of us here have to worry about no, that. No, we don't have to worry about that. But, <laughs> but it's, the, it's the desire for it. That's right. And it's the, I have to have that position, and who are you willing to step on mm. in order to make that happen? Letter A, notice a life of vanity. Yeah. A life of vanity. Ecclesiastes was written by the most famous rich man of his era, King Solomon. And King Solomon says, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. And what he's getting at here is that no matter how much you get, you're never going to be satisfied. It's never going to be enough. And what you end up doing is you get to the end of your life. And as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities is all vain. It's all vain. Man, that's the, how, how can we put it practically, Pastor? The, the person who 
is, again, we talked about it just a moment ago. If you don't get a present, you don't get recognized. If your name isn't announced, if your name isn't in the bulletin, if, if you know, the pastor doesn't recognize you for a, a deed, a well-done deed, or whatever the case may be. Now, obviously, you want to recognize everyone as much as you can, but at the end of the day, are we doing it for the recognition, or are we doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah. And we all have seen people that are one or the other. Mm-hmm. And man, do we love those who don't care whether you mention their name, who don't care whether you recognize them. And man, those are the ones we think, oh, praise God. Their eyes are on the Savior, Amen. and they know He accepts their labor, That's and He right. does. They don't That's need right. the name recognition. Amen. Let her be a life of disappointment. People who uh, put position over people. Uh, the pride of life, a life of disappointment. First Corinthians 7.31 says, And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. The truth is they just can't keep up. No. They just can't keep up. So we want to leave you this evening um, with some questions for you to consider. And we're going to give you these questions with very little comment. But uh, uh, as they come up on your screen, if you're able to jot them down or screenshot them, these are some questions that really make you think. Um, uh, first, check your priorities. And, and, and here's a way you can do that. Uh, ask yourselves these, these questions. Do you crave physical pleasure and tolerate church? Um, do you purchase impulsively and give grudgingly? Do you consider what your parents or friends will think when you make big purchases? Or do you consider God? And what he thinks. These are some great questions for you to really look at and check your heart. Amen. I can't climb inside your mind and know what's in your heart. Only you can do that. Uh, but your actions do shout really loud after a while and a pattern can be seen. And we need to be, make sure that as children, uh, the children that are watching this this evening, if I could talk to you for a minute, make sure that you uh, tell your parents how important church is to you. Amen. And that you, you have to be in church. You want to be in church. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a mom or dad show up to church and they say, well, I wouldn't have been here today, but such and such, my child really wanted to be here. Amen. And look, that's great. <laughs> you children can encourage and influence right. your children, your parents right. uh, to do what's right. Amen. Um, and parents, uh, your children don't want to come to church. This is my strong opinion. But if they live in your house and they eat your food and, and you pay their mortgage and you, you give them um, a place to sleep, then you, you need to get them into church. Amen. And teach your children that we are to do it for, not only do the right things, but do it for the right reasons. Let's close this uh, evening with a story about a lady named Eve. This woman had a perfect husband. She had no laundry. Uh, she had no diapers to change. Her husband never had a bad day at work. She had a great garden with no weeds. In this garden, it never rained. God just brought a dew every morning like a sprinkler system. Um, she had no headaches or backaches. One day a beautiful creature came to her and spoke and said, I can give you a better life than what God is giving you if you will just eat this forbidden mm. fruit. Mm. Read Genesis chapter 3, 6. Genesis verse. chapter 3 and verse 6. And when the, when the woman rather saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, 
and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Satan has been using the same bag of tricks that he trips us up with since the Garden of Eden, since Amen. the first man and first woman. Amen. You all know the rest of the story, don't you? You know what happened with Eve and with Adam and, and the struggles we have today. I can tell you that some of us need to do our best to get out of Satan's orchard. We need to quit eating from the lies, the misplaced priorities that he's using to trip us up. Amen. Amen. Pastor, I, I, I appreciate that. That's very well spoken, very well said. And um, this, you're right. This is the same trick he's been using. He used the exact same trick with Achan. He saw, he desired, he coveted, he took it. Same thing she did. She saw, she coveted, she took it. It's the same thing we do. We see it, we desire it, we take it. Sin has the exact same process every single time. And so what do we need to do? We need to fight spiritually. We need to try not to see, okay? Because I can't affect, I can't change how what I see affects me, but I can change what I see. I can change what I see. I can't change how what I hear affects me, but I can change what I hear. Yeah. And so let's, let's do our part to avoid those things that will tempt us to have improper uh, priorities, but then when, if and when we find ourselves in the presence of that temptation, then fight like your life depends on it, spiritually speaking. Amen. To the husbands, um, to the homes that have a husband and father in them, dad, you need to sit down with mom and you need to talk about, I would really encourage this, you need to talk about has Satan subtly gotten into your home and gotten uh, some of the priorities out of order. If you are a single parent, whether a mom or a dad, you're the leader of that home, and, and you need to get on your knees before the Lord and pray and ask Him to show you where you're out of balance, your priorities are out of balance, and then you need to, whether you're single or a married couple, after that you need to sit down with your children, and you need to have a family discussion, and you need to hit some reset buttons. And let's not let a Christian home become corrupted by secular thinking. Again, it's okay for the boat to be in the water. The water can't be in the boat. It's okay for the Christian to be in the world. It's not okay for the world to be in the Christian. And as mom and dads, we need to set the tone. We need to lead the way. If you're a child watching this and your parents aren't saved, then you lead the way and Amen. you set the tone and you show them what it means uh, to do what's right. So I hope that's been an encouragement to Amen. you this evening. Pastor Morales, can you close us in a word of Absolutely. prayer? Absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the direction that it gives to each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, that um, the bread of heaven never grows stale. Amen. We thank you, Lord, that the water of life never grows stagnant. And, Lord, we thank you for pouring out that water and feeding us with that bread tonight. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us to take the principles that have been gleaned from your word this evening and help us, Lord, to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Help us to apply them. Help us to practice them. Lord, we pray collectively for each and every family, each and every relationship, each and every marriage, each and every child, Lord, that will be uh, touched by uh, the words that were brought to light from your Bible tonight, and that you would help them, help all of us, I should say, help us to uh, glorify you in our families, in our homes, glorify you in our priorities. And, Lord, bring you honor and glory. That's what you created us to do. We pray that you would help us to do that. Holy Spirit, 
lead us, guide us, direct us, convict us, and help us. We need your help. We need your power. Lord, bless us now. And Lord, be with White Oak Baptist Church and everyone that's affiliated with it. We thank you again for this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, that concludes this evening's roundtable discussion. Next week, we'll be going back to the topic of roadblocks that keep people from being saved. We hope you'll join us uh, next Sunday evening at 6 p.m. God bless you. Have a great night.